Hello, Daniel. How are you? Привіт, пане Олександре. Слава Україні! Героям слава. Так справи. Досі з враженням благодійного концерту з Оксаною Мухою вчора. Ми збирали гроші на благодійний фонд, який допомагає пораненим українським солдатам. І був момент, коли піднявся хлопець з високою ампутацією своїми палицями на сцену і почав з дівчиною танцювати. Він кинув свої ті, е, палиці, які йому допомагають ходити. І е, на одну хвилину все було добре. I have thank a... you for supporting because no, it's it's really important and actually it's something uh being Ukrainian it's not uh being a citizen or ethnic Ukrainian or speaking Ukrainian nowadays being Ukrainian and being human being on the good side of civilization and you know it just it's really moving how people across the globe uh and especially from those distant countries that well I mean from Middle East Africa or uh Asia uh when, when they support us when they they discovered what Ukraine is and it's, it's really moving and certainly you, you have some roots and uh it's more close to your heart but uh well we appreciate it this this war is is is, is just about good and evil and it divides and, and especially in the United States it's obvious how people are you know siding with Russia uh, just because uh, of political views of their opponents uh, it's just uh, unacceptable I, I believe yeah I, I would agree with you 100% I don't even view I'm an American right I have Ukrainian roots but I don't even view that background as an ethnicity I, I view it more as a state of mind and you know there were people of color at the concert yesterday um, Ukrainians come in all different shapes sizes and colors it, it's 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 I think you you hit it spot on it's uh being Ukrainian is is a state of mind the it's about and right now it's about freedom <laughs> yeah for sure just know uh, I'm ethnic I'm an ethnic Greek I'm not Ukrainian uh but certainly since well my predecessors lived here for more than a millennia so this land is my land as well as you for Ukrainians and and other ethnicities ethnicities and certainly I feel myself as Ukrainian in in, in civic uh, meaning because it's my state it's my nation yeah but a lot of other people you know I, I have I, if I find I'll send you a link a guy who is of, of African origin he speaks perfect Ukrainian he, he thinks he thinks uh, songs of the 60s uh Ukrainian uh well popular songs and it's amazing how he his voice is uh let's say mirroring those uh, artists Ukrainian artists of the 1960s it's absolutely amazing when I heard it it just it was well you you see certainly we have some prejudice you know you see a black guy uh and then he began to sing in the perfect Ukrainian it's uh, it's unbelievable yeah I definitely want to check that out I have something to pitch for you okay um Prigozhin and Donald Trump um mirror images <laughs> and and here here's why um you fly too close to the sun right like Icarus and after pride comes the fall I mean Donald Trump could still be president obviously Prigozhin is dead <laughs> but uh 
the 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 difference between the two systems here is that uh, you know justice in in quotes in Russia is meted out by uh, the czar, whereas here we have the rule of law and due process. So there's a mugshot and arraignment, and uh, there's going to be a trial. Um, did you watch the Republican debates? Well, not the whole debate, but uh, certainly some uh, key things. And I, uh, well, uh, I scanned uh, Twitter and I've seen all, everything related to Ukraine. Because you no, know, certainly I'm not really interested in the domestic uh, uh, fights and cultural wars uh, in the United States, but uh, everything related to Ukraine, I, I close uh, closely watched. So I'm sure you're aware of the comments made by Vivek Ramaswamy. <laughs> He's uh, sort of a slicker, younger, uh, more polished Trump, but he's saying the same things. And there was that unhinged moment after the debate. Um, I think you even shared it on your social media where he said that he thinks that Ukraine could uh, could become a, a there could be a post-Zelensky warlord that takes control of the country and gets a hold of uh, all the uh, U.S. equipment that we're sending over there. It, I mean based obviously on nothing what is it even worth talking about this guy what do you think well uh since uh all other guys uh, from the debate we were picking on him and beating him uh severely including uh, nikki Haley, she said that no she's he's not competent on foreign policy uh i understand that americans would vote uh, for someone not because he has a profile in uh, foreign and security policy but because he's so uh, well uh, reflects uh, their desires and certainly we have this MAGA core who would vote for Trump even if uh, he is convicted which is uh, absolutely unacceptable and actually it would uh, repeat Ukrainian experience when we uh, elected uh, Mr Yanukovych convicted criminal and look uh, at where we we found ourselves and he betrayed our country uh, legally and, uh, in, and factually and this war started because he was selling our country. So uh, that's why, uh, just to begin with, you know, uh, our civilization, I mean, the Western civilization, uh, is based on that uh, premise that uh, uh, there is something above us. Well, I'm not talking about God. I'm talking about the law, which is, uh, let's say, adopted by people who we, we elect. So it's not a strong man who decides uh, how we should live or what should should do or whether it's legal or illegal, but the law and those people uh, dedicated to 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 just you know to apply it. I mean the the judicial uh, branch of uh, power. And what Russia is all about? It's about the actually uh, pre um, pre civilizational state when everyone who got to power by force may uh, impose his will on everybody. And actually, it begins almost in the 12th century uh, when uh, Andrei Bogolubsky became uh, the ruler of uh, Moscow. Oh, well, at that time, it was uh, the Vladimir uh, Suzdal uh, kingdom. Uh, and the whole idea was, you know, I own everybody and I own everything and I can uh, please myself giving you some property or some official status, but I can take away anytime. So uh, if you compare it to the Western tradition, when they were, uh, let's say, lords, they were uh, um, wealthy individuals who gathered to, to, to uh, withstand pressure from the king, from monarch, 
uh, and there was a sort of a struggle between the one uh, who tried who tried to be you know sovereign and the absolute monarch uh, and those who wanted to have some more freedoms and it turned to be a European uh, democracy and especially in the United uh, Kingdom uh, but in Russia they still live in the 12th of uh, 13th century where ruler uh, command everything and it's important that Trump and people like him are trying to bring the system back to the medieval ages that someone strong may control the whole of government and change everything without you know taking into consideration interests of the uh, smaller part i'm not talking about minority but even small, you know america is divided almost half of uh, americans are uh, for trump uh, and half uh, against him uh, severely uh, so uh, it's not the way uh, how civilized nations uh, should should be governed and should allow people to do something. And actually, I would recommend uh, you and uh, our listeners and watchers to uh, to watch a uh, film. Uh, it's called The Network. It's 1976. Uh, and actually, uh, I was struck when I, I watched it just a couple of months ago, how the uh, the author uh, just uh, predicted the phenomenon of Trump. So it's about Trump. Uh, I, I recommend it to watch. But anyway, uh, if I'm talking about uh, Russia uh, and uh, Prigozhin, uh, so it's a Russian story. Uh, when the guy, the criminal, uh, was allowed by the monarch uh, to get money and power, and he was useful for uh, different dirty things like uh, interfering in American elections because internet uh, internet research agency uh, run by Mr. Prigozhin uh, was interfering in American elections. Uh, Prigozhin was useful for Putin to wage wars in Africa. Those mercenaries who, uh, you know, they were outlawed, they were doing horrible things uh, in uh, Mali, now in Mali, but before that in Central African Republic and others, and certainly yeah, can in I Syria. Ask you about that? Can I ask you about yeah, that? Sure. That's what's interesting to me, because I don't know if Prigozhin's killing is going to make a huge difference on the ground in Ukraine, but there, the you know, Wagner has a big presence in Africa, and it's a destabilizing presence in Africa, and it's a large continent. Um I mean, it's, I'm sure it's too soon to tell, but what are going to be the implications for that, for those countries that are affected by, you know, these mercenaries from Russia who are basically pillaging resources and, and helping um, other warlords enact coups in those countries? Well, uh, first of all, uh, the Wagner Group and affiliated companies were useful for Putin uh, to enrich themselves. I mean, not just for Putin, because you know, Putin, like a criminal boss, uh, everything earned by so-called oligarchs. There are no oligarchs in Russia, because oligarchs is those people who convert their money into power and convert power into their mo into money. Nobody influencing Putin. And it's Putin who allowing those uh, individuals to enrich themselves and certainly use this money for their pleasure, but sometimes uh, for the interests of this uh, criminal group uh, that Putin headed. Uh, like uh, Mr. Malafeev was uh, financing so-called Donetsk and Lugansk People's Republic, and he was uh, engaged in the initial uh, parts of the war. Or, for example, uh, the interference in the American and other elections, uh, like via guys like uh, Prigozhin, and certainly Putin, uh, well, uh, used these guys uh, for his pleasure. 
like uh, Gilinjik uh, Palace uh, that uh, some a couple of uh, oligarchs, uh, so-called oligarchs, built for him, or recent uh, investigation by the Navalny team uh, about several yachts that were built, super yachts that were built uh, for Putin him, himself. Uh, so uh, in Africa, uh, uh, Prigozhin was doing several things. First and foremost, getting resources like diamonds, uh, gold, uh, oil, and gas, and securing those contracts, and certainly selling some arms. From the other hand, uh, he was using mercenaries, uh, according to open source, uh, uh, something like 5,000 strong uh, mercenary force across the uh, continent. Uh, and they are, as you said, uh, supporting different uh, bloody regimes uh, over there. Uh, and certainly this asset, it's not just uh, for pleasure of, of Mr. Prigozhin, it's for foreign policy goals of uh, Russia, which Russia is a poor state. They don't have enough resources and cannot compete with China and European Union and certainly the United States in Africa. They cannot invest a lot of money in, in Africa or provide Africa with new te technologies or whatever. So what they can do, they can uh, know, uh, make some troubles and by making those tribals, they can draw uh, Europeans and uh, Americans out of Africa. They can generate uh, refugees uh, waves uh, from Africa uh, towards Europe, thus destabilizing the political and social stability in Europe and uh, reaching those goals like bringing uh, ultra-right uh, guys into power in, in, in Europe. So uh, that's why I believe that uh, there will be a transition period when uh, some parts of these military uh, components of uh, Wagner would be subordinated uh, most likely to the uh, foreign, uh, sorry, to the military intelligence to group. Uh, some of them would be supported to the close uh, well, allies of Putin. Uh, I believe that we will uh, hear Mr. Victor Booth, who is a so-called uh, merchant of death. Uh, he was uh, in uh, American prison for uh, illegal um, uh, deals with weapons across the globe, and particularly in Africa. So I believe uh, he will be one who would be who would be running this uh, part of this uh, system. But from the other hand, I believe that uh, Putin uh, would not make a mistake that one person or one company uh, um, would be allowed uh, to run such a huge, uh, let's say, resource-based uh, scheme. So he will divide uh, this business of Wagner and affiliated companies in, and will, um, uh, let's say, uh, designate uh, people who would run parts of this business uh, in, on behalf of uh, Putin and certainly uh, special uh, forces, intelligence services uh, uh, in Russia. So it's not going to fight away. And yes, uh, Prigozhin, uh, it's an interesting guy. He created brutal, but uh, more, way more e efficient and effective uh, force, military force, uh, in this war against Ukraine, uh, because they were not, uh, uh, let's say, um, behaving according to the old Soviet or uh, Russian uh, military books or guides. Uh, they were more, let's say, innovative. Uh, they were less subordinated to the military structures, and that's why uh, they were more, let's say dangerous uh, for Ukrainian armed forces. But uh, given the decision to withdraw uh, those troops and to allocate them to uh, Belarus, and given that the majority of those troops, I'm not talking uh, talking about tip of the top, uh, but the major uh, regular uh, mercenaries, uh, they would be, uh, let's say, vanished into the uh, regular military structure for the reasons that uh, Putin didn't want to have this uh, structure to be separated and uh, threatening him in the future. 
even though I believe that uh, those guys will play uh, their part in the future of Russia, I believe that uh, there will be mutiny once again uh, for the simple reason. Uh, Russia is such a state where it's not a democratic state. You cannot run elections and change president or the government and the, the, the society would agree to wait some let's say three, four, five years uh, for the new government to show performance and to do something. So he is a monarch, absolute monarch, and he is not tolerating any opposition. That's why he 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 killed several opposition figures. He tried to poison others or jailed some of them or ousted them from, from Russia. So there is no possibility uh, uh, to resolve those uh, um, let's say, uh, conflict, uh, social, political conflict, and economic as well, within Russia by uh, civilized, civilized uh, um, means, by elections or political process. So that's why uh, it's like a boiling uh, pot and, and there is no way the steam can go out. So it is going to be blown up. And Putin, by killing, uh, murdering the uh, the chiefs, not just uh, Mr. Prigozhin, but uh, a couple of other important person from the company, uh, he showed that uh, he cannot be trusted. We cannot negotiate with a uh, um, man who uh, who does not uh, obey the official law and the, the, the official uh, rules of the game. Neither the semi-criminal uh, dealings and uh, words, you know, like criminals are given word one to other, but they 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 are supposed to obey those and 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 live up to the the promises. So uh, he showed that there is no possibility to uh, negotiate a compromise with him. That's why the next time someone who would uh, organize coup d'état or mutiny, they would not talk to him at all. They would try to kill, to kill him instantly. So uh, that's why uh, it's uh, uh, the, this Prigozhin affair is, is going to be a long-term uh, affecting thing. And what uh, this mutiny uh, showed and this killing uh, recently, uh, that the Russian society is profoundly sick because for a lot of Russians, uh, Mr. Prigozhin, convicted criminal and war criminal, uh, who speaks uh, in brutal way, who kills his uh, subordinates with hammer, is a role model for a lot of Russians. And they believe that, you know, he, he is someone uh, that they deserve he, uh, to serve as a president. Uh, and and it just it's a pity that, you know, this such a huge country, 140 million, uh, they don't have anyone uh, uh, of, of the civil, civilian kind of us let's say, of a normal kind of ordinary uh, politician or, or European type uh, that, you know, uh, uh, promising something and have track record or have education or behaving in, not in a criminal way. So Russia is a criminal mafia state and state, I, I'm, I when I call Russia a state, I, I certainly it's uh, just, uh, I use the, uh, uh, let's say, terminology which not re really should not be applied to Russia. Because we, uh, this war showed that Russia is a failed state, failed society, uh, and we cannot apply all those uh, European and Western concepts from po political science to, to Russia. It's a completely different type of animal. Well, you anticipated my next question, and you kind of already laid it out. I, I was going to ask you, what do you think after, after uh, Prigozhin's gone? Is there going to be another mutiny? Because Putin sort of has, it seems like he's trying to scatter his enemies in that, you know, he sent some of them to Belarus. Uh, he's 
giving them an opportunity to to join the Russian army sort of under his control or more of his control. Um, but I see the, the two things that that surprised me was one right after uh, the mutiny ended and Prigozhin, there's a video of Prigozhin in Rostov in a car and there's crowds of people surrounding him, taking selfies, cheering for him. And the surprising thing to me was that the regime let that stuff happen. Um, maybe, you know, maybe because if they don't, it's too risky for them. Um, and then the other surprising thing was, were the videos of these sort of uh, Wagner fanboys from Russia crying uncontrollably at the news of Prigozhin. So it, is there, is there enough of an organized sort of, I don't even want to call it resistance because there even seem to be further right, further to the right than Putin in Russia that that would be that would pose a legitimate challenge to the regime. Well, I hope so, but uh, certainly uh, there, there is not going to be a revolution in Russia because even though there is a so-called revolution situation when the upper classes uh, could not uh, rule uh, as it was before and the lower classes uh, could not bear uh, living in such conditions uh, anymore. In Russia, there is a revolution uh, situation, but uh, unfortunately there are no forces, including opposition leaders, who would be thinking about it. So the only way in Russia you can go to power, it's uh, the way of the Bolsheviks. You need to uh, draw your country in blood and kill everyone uh, on your way. And you can go to, to the Kremlin and become uh, a ruler of this uh, uh, barbarian country. But uh, not as, no, there is no other way. And since there is no uh, political way to solve uh, those uh, uh, problems and uh, uh, contradictions, uh, especially economic ones, uh, so there would be uh, people who were not happy and there would be a lot of people with a uh, combat experience uh, and certainly with some crazy ideas. And so they would do something. So I believe more in mutiny rather in in, uh, in revolution or other you know, organized, uh, let's say, uh, activity. And uh, I believe we will have, uh, it's not going to be a long time that we will see uh, this uh, unhappiness and this anger, and especially those who believe that they were fighting for the Russian interests and they were betrayed by Mr. Putin. So uh, I believe that uh, Russia would uh, uh, repeat uh, uh, the same fate like the Russian Empire in 1917. Uh, so after the, uh, well, disastrous uh, uh, part of the Russian uh, disastrous war, the First World War for Russia, because it was not prepared for it, a, a lot of casualties, uh, peasants were taken away from their fields and from their farms, uh, and certainly there were class uh, division and uh, those uh, officers, uh, uh, they were you know, feeling it towards the regular soldiers like the property or something, it's like in, in contemporary Russia. So there was an anger. And uh, there was a collapse of, of military collapse that uh, turned uh, those guys back home and they brought this violence uh, to Russia. And nowadays, if you follow the news uh, from different Russian regions, all those bastards who were killing Ukrainians are now back in Russia and they are just uh, doing these uh, dirty things uh, towards their families and their neighbors. 
So, uh, and, and we know that, you know, in, in, even in Ukraine's problem, when, when we have our military with uh, post-traumatic syndrome, but we have a lot of civil uh, organization who are dealing with it. They're helping Ukrainian uh, soldiers with these uh, traumas to get back to normal life. But in Russia, it's 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 not possible to do because you no, know, uh, the difference between Ukraine and and Russia there are a lot of difference. Certainly, we are completely different to Russia. But uh, Russia is centralized not just the government, not just the 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 state, uh, but society as well. So uh, you can organize. So uh, in Ukraine, there is a possibility to have a Maidan. People just feel that you know they need to protest. And they are just gathering and meeting each other and they are creating these horizontal uh, networks and they are uh, coordinating some actions. But you cannot uh, have an anti-Maidan because anti-Maidan, you need someone with money, giving order, organizing people, giving them buses and bringing them to, to, uh, to the square to organize this anti-Maidan. Uh, the Russians are not capable of, uh, for, for, for this self-organization. Uh, and that's why uh, they, they have a lot of problems uh, like uh, we have, but they cannot deal with them. They cannot address them in, in the same way like Ukrainians are doing it. If just you have a look at how Ukrainians are donating, uh, well, almost, uh, well, when we get money on our account, uh, first thing that you do, you're just not paying for electricity or something. You are donating for uh, drones, uh, for uh, some equipment for our military. In Russia, is different. Uh, they, they are they are not donating to the same level uh, as, as as we do. So uh, that's why I believe uh, all these um, the um, let's say uh, cultural uh, differences between us and cultural cultural political culture in in Russia is not allowing them to uh, solve those uh, problems that they have uh, by by uh, normal means. Uh, that's why the uh, conflict potential is growing. And with uh, the successes of Ukrainian uh, defense forces, and I believe uh, we uh, recently we've seen some uh, encouraging news that after the uh, attrition uh, period of the uh, of the war in the south, uh, our forces are uh, actually they breached the first line of Suvorokin life, and then we will have, uh, um, a bit more. A speedy, uh, uh, let's say, advance into the uh, deep of Russia or, or Russian. Uh, I mean, I mean, Russian forces, uh, and it, uh, we would be able to cut the supplies uh, to Crimean part. I mean, uh, this part of Ukrainian territory is that connected to Crimea, but it's now supplied either with Crimea if there is a possibility because we are targeting the Kerch Bridge. And the ferry uh, that is going in Kerch is not uh, capable of bringing all this uh, ammunition and uh, weapons and people. Uh, but now, majority of those resources are, are being delivered via occupied Donetsk and then uh, uh, to, to, to the Kherson region. So if we cut the supplies, it means that a lot of Russian uh, soldiers would be uh, encircled and they would uh, face a quite pretty good choice, pretty good from, for, from Ukrainian point of view, uh, either to die or give up. And if they give up, uh, because there will be no pos possibility for them to uh, to carry on their fight, uh, it would be a huge blow to the Russian military, and it, it would might it might trigger collapse in other fronts. And it will bring war to Russia uh, by Russians, not, not by, by Ukrainian uh, uh, tar targeting the Russian cities or infrastructure. So I believe this is the, the most likely scenario and uh, the Russians would see their uh, mutiny 2.0 uh, 
uh, it's going to be much more bloody because it, the previous one haven't sold anything and there is an anger of those uh, Russian fascists and imperialists because they believe Putin is waging this war is not brutal enough and he is not uh, efficient and he is keeping loyal but stupid guys like Shoigu uh, and Gerasimov and, uh, and some other in uh, general staff uh, and they are wasting the Russian resources, first and foremost, uh, uh, people, without achieving any results. So they are not happy, not because they, the, the war is taking place and uh, they, they would love to to live in uh, peace, but because the, 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 the Putin regime is not capable of killing Ukrainians more efficiently or conquer Ukraine, um, let's say, more easily. So that's why this anger would be turned to someone they will attribute rightly that he is... Uh, uh, to blame for for this uh, failure. Okay, so let me play devil's advocate for a second here. You know, we, earlier we talked about Vivek Ramaswamy saying that, you know, he's worried about a, a post-Zelensky warlord taking over Ukraine. Isn't it a worry that a post-Putin warlord could take over Russia and take over control of their nuclear arsenal? Uh, well, uh, first of all, uh, Americans were there in 1991, and George Bush uh, Sr. was was addressing Ukrainian uh, parliament just 10 days before the act of uh, independence was uh, proclaimed, and he was trying to stop uh, Ukrainians from getting independence just for the same reason, because we, we were the third largest nuclear arsenal. Uh, and uh, the Americans at that time, they believed that Ukrainians are nationalists, and it would lead uh, uh, to, to the civil war with Russians on our territory and with Russia in general. And certainly it would not be a good thing for Europe and the world because, you know, two uh, military powers and with nuclear arms would be fighting each other. And the same thing uh, uh, once again. But uh, let's talk about the... Uh, Putin is, is a human and he is a pretty old one and he is not a healthy one. He is going to die or someone would kill him. It's going to happen, uh, well, not, not in five years or ten years. It's, it's going to happen uh, well, in the foreseeable future. Uh, so what the Americans and the Westerners are doing to uh, resist those uh, grim scenarios? Nothing, because you know, they decided that you know, regime change is not something they're interested in. Uh, and they, 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 they possibly are planning to support anyone who would say that you know he's not going to blow up the world uh, with uh, those nuclear that they have so there is no plan in, in the west uh, they, they just fear of uh, the collapse of russia but it's going to happen and what i am saying either you want russia to collapse or not it's going to happen it's better to uh, prepare to have contingency planning and ukraine may play a important role we may be a uh, peacekeeping force for the Russian territory to stop uh, them killing each other in some time in future. Because now we are interested in the uh, uh, in Russia, whether it's uh, certainly for all each and every Ukrainian, we would love to see more Russians, not just one Russia with such a size, which... Um, oh, you mean the split came. up the federation, for the Russian federation to split into its... Oh, yes, part. yes. I don't believe, frankly speaking, I don't believe in the democratic nature of Russia, a possibility. Uh, just, you know, because uh, a huge uh, number of arguments, beginning from economy uh, and from Marxist point of view, because, you now they have the superstructure, which is pol pol politics, and they have the basic structure with economy. 
So the basic structure of Russia is oil and gas and some other commodities. So they are not producing anything high tech or whatever. Uh, at least it's not uh, well sizable uh, parts of their economy. And these oil and gas are controlled uh, either by the state or state related uh, corporations and people. And they distribute this money uh, uh, in uh, bureaucracy, certainly uh, um, Putin and his uh, uh, so-called uh, lake, cooperative lake, his uh, friends from the 90s. Uh, so they're distributing this wealth uh, among themselves and then the um, civil servants and military and uh, huge security apparatus and governmental related uh, structures. The middle class, which is backbone of democracy uh, elsewhere, it doesn't exist in Russia because no, Russia can survive without any, any middle class uh, people. That's why uh, a lot of them uh, fled the country in 2014 and then in, in, in 2022 uh, when this uh, all uh, out war was started. Uh, so uh, who is going to be uh, this big bone of democracy? Who would be fighting uh, by words in parliament for, uh, pushing for some positive uh, programs? None of these people uh, would be capable of doing this. And if you look at the opinion polls like uh, Navalny, uh, Kasparov, whatever, uh, they are not that popular. Uh, the, the Russian society is profoundly sick. They are uh, they actually uh, Putin turned Russia into fascist state because the state controls everything. There is no debate. There is no any inch of territory where there is a freedom of speech or whatever. So that's why uh, Russia is going to be is going to collapse because it's not capable of solving those problems that they have their own problems and those problems related to the war and problems related to the, uh, the economic isolation and the uh, technological uh, backwardness. Well, tensions are playing their role. They're not uh, killing Russian economy as fast as we would love to see, but uh, certainly you know the Chinese. Uh, goods and Chinese technology, uh, technologies are flooding Russia, while there is no access to the Western technologies, at least in the, in the scale uh, as it was uh, before this all-out invasion. So that's why I, I'm afraid that Americans would uh, repeat this Kiev chicken speech once again, uh, but uh, as it was there at that time, uh, this time they will fail as well. So Russia is not governable uh, in the old model. Uh, we can help Russia to uh, become a real uh, federation or confederation, uh, because you no, know, uh, it's called the Russian Federation, but in reality, it's a unitarian state with the, uh, the all powers controlled by uh, Moscow, uh, with uh, Russified uh, ethnic uh, regions, uh, because you now if you talk to uh, those people, and especially them, Tatars or uh, or whatever, uh, they do not speak their language, uh, they speak Russian, uh, and they believe in this uh, imperial, uh, imperial ideas. Uh, so that's why I don't believe that there is a possibility to convert them in something uh, peaceful and, uh, and uh, governable like in, in, in Europe or in the United States. So it's going to happen. I mean, the collapse of Russia is inevitable, uh, and I'm not sure that is going to happen uh, next year, uh, because it, it just... one more thing is that uh, we we do not have an uh, objective picture of what's going on in Russia. Uh, even before the war, uh, the Russian uh, government was lying about economical indicators, the state of economy and society. 
uh, and now, and especially after the uh, almost two years of the war, with this uh, censorship, with uh, uh, jailing for likes in, in social networks, uh, and uh, changing the uh, methodologies of these uh, economical uh, indicators, uh, they're trying to hide their weaknesses. Uh, and we know the state of their economy and ability uh, of this uh, economy to sustain further uh, pressure uh, of the West. Uh, they're trying to offset uh, their economy and they, they, they are just now uh, more and more dependent on China, more and more dependent on India because they are selling a huge amount of uh, oil to, to India. Uh, but from the other hand, we do not understand uh, how much money they got from that because they are selling it with a huge discount. And whether those money after uh, embezzlement by the regime figures, uh, whether it's enough uh, to run day-to-day uh, -day life of these people, they're, they're, they're wasting a lot of money on uh, on military as well. So uh, we don't know uh, the, the state of Russian economy. That's why I cannot predict, and it's like in uh, 1991, uh, the whole of CIA was not able to predict uh, the collapse of Soviet Union. Uh, it was out of the blue for them. I believe that is going to happen once again, because no, we don't know Russia uh, to such extent that we can you know, understand uh, the limits uh, of the economy, uh, the patient of their society, uh, or uh, ability to govern uh, this, this uh, hugely inefficient system. Ukraine is getting F-16s. Um, do you think that's going to be a game changer? Well, I wish uh, I wish uh, we had uh, received them well a year ago. And as, as you know, that Americans uh, uh, there was a, two pilots uh, tested by by the Americans uh, last year, and I believe it was in December uh, there was a report that it will take uh, up to four months uh, for Ukrainian experienced pilots uh, to, 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 to manage uh, F-16. Uh, it's a really important thing, and it's important for several reasons. The most important is not obvious. And I believe it's a change of thinking uh, in the heads of the strategists in Washington. First and foremost, people like Jake Sullivan. Because from the beginning, he was dragging the feet. He was... Uh, uh, he was afraid of this escalation with Russia, and that's why uh, before the invasion and right after it, we were receiving just uh, javelins and stingers, not not uh, the heavy armaments and more powerful stuff. Uh, but after a while, uh, they changed their mind, and we got uh, some harvesters, then tanks, uh, and possibly you remember that uh, uh, German Chancellor uh, Scholz uh, told. Uh, that he, he he explained why he didn't want to provide Ukraine with uh, Leopard tanks. And there were two points. First, the uh, German tank rolling on over Russians, uh, which is funny thing. Uh, well, it's not going to roll to Russian territory, I, I think, but uh, uh, rolling Russians on Ukrainian territory is a legitimate and uh, noble thing, I would say. And second, he was afraid of the so-called uh, Third World War, but it didn't happen. Uh, uh, then we received uh, the Storm Shadow and Scalp, uh, the French missiles, so warm branch, not like uh, the HIMARS uh, systems that Americans provided us in the middle of the uh, last year with, I believe, 90 kilometers range. Uh, they, they tuned the machine that we are not capable of hitting proper Russian territory. Uh, 
uh, and still Americans are not providing us with the Atakams, the uh, tactical uh, missiles uh, with a range uh, 300 and more uh, kilometers that we need to target uh, Russian installations, command and control centers in Crimea. Uh, but F-16 is a change of uh, thinking and an evolution of strategic thinking that Russia is not capable of escalation. And that's why it's uh, worse to provide Ukraine with. And certainly with air power, uh, we, we would be able to uh, carry on this uh, offensive uh, in the in the way it was designed by the NATO strategists in the 1960s, I mean, combined uh, operations. And it's one of the reasons why we are not capable of uh, running such operations, because you know, with the Soviet uh, uh, crafts that we have, like uh, MiG and Su, uh, uh, and with the Russians, uh, that they have much better and more advanced uh, Russian uh, jets, the Russians are capable of shutting down our jets in our airspace from their space, and uh, even um, when, when we do not see them. So F-16 is much better in this term, so there would be no need for to fly into the Russian uh, air zone to target uh, Russian installations. We can do it in from deeper territory of Ukraine. It would help us not just on the ground, but certainly air defense as well. Uh, but the most important thing is, is not obvious as well. I mean, um, it's long-term commitment of the United States. If they provide us with such... Uh, uh, Pretty sophisticated. It's a bit old. It's not F-35, but it's pretty sophisticated uh, thing because F-16s are being modernized each and every year, and they are really capable uh, piece of equipment. But if the United States decided to provide us with that, and uh, if uh, they are talking about long-term uh, commitments, and if uh, they agreed to sign this J-7 um, declaration on uh, security assistance to Ukraine under which uh, uh, the J7 countries and some other, now we have the 14 countries who decided to, to be part of this uh, new um, arrangement of uh, uh, agreements uh, uh, that are aimed to boost uh, Ukrainian defense capabilities by provision of uh, the assets like uh, aircrafts, tanks, and other things by uh, joint production or development and production staff and by training Ukrainian military. So uh, this is important for the long-term uh, security of Ukraine. Uh, well, we Ukrainians understand that the only way to secure our uh, security and our sovereignty in, in uh, independence and territorial integrity uh, is to be a member of the uh, NATO alliance. But at the moment, it's not uh, feasible. We see that you know, uh, there are some uh, fears in the Washington and Berlin, uh, and we, we didn't get that message that we wanted in uh, during the Vilnius NATO summit. We are hopeful for the Washington summit that uh, this mistake would be uh, changed and there would be a positive signal. But anyway, uh, before we are a member of the, of the alliance, we need uh, uh, some, uh, let's say, assurances of the assistance. And the Americans and their partners are doing this. So they're investing not just in these, um, let's say, capabilities that we need to fight right now, but in the future capabilities as well. Russia is not going to uh, well, evaporate uh, from our borders. We don't know uh, which uh, form this country will shape will be shaped into. But uh, certainly we need to be prepared and we, we, we should not be you know, childish enough to believe in international law and other things. We need to have uh, hard stuff. 
we, we need to have uh, hard security assurances uh, and uh, arm ourselves to teeth. And actually, the polls are showing the examples. They are uh, arming themselves uh, immensely. Uh, they are buying a lot of uh, stuff from the Americans, from South Koreans. Uh, we need to do the same thing. We, we need to deter further Russian aggression uh, after we liberate our territory. Well, Alexander Kara, I really appreciate your time and your insights and helping helping unpack a lot of these complicated issues. I know you you just uh, marked the 32nd um, anniversary of uh, Ukraine declaring independence from the Soviet Union. Uh, you know, I wanted to congratulate Ukraine on that milestone, and I I hope uh, that the next Independence Day will be celebrated during peacetime. I'm. This conversation was with a foreign policy and security expert, former official with Ukrainian National Security and Defense Council, and currently a fellow at the Center for Defense Strategy. Alexander Khara, thank you so much again for joining me. The pleasure was mine. And just one small comment that, you know, uh, Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian statehood uh, is 32 years old. Where we just you know, we, we really appeared on the map uh, in 1991. But certainly there was a period during the Ukrainian People's Republic uh, before it was uh, conquered by the Bolsheviks uh, after the collapse of the Russian Empire. But the most important thing and in, in interesting that that Ukrainian uh, uh, Ukrainians are at one time a young nation, at the same time it's millennium old nation. So we actually you know, restored the historical justice by reappearing on this map. And certainly with this war, uh, the, the first and foremost, our uh, European uh, friends, especially the old European friends, realize that uh, Ukraine is over there and it's so important for the security and prosperity of the whole European continent. Because before that, they were thinking that it was just like uh, in between uh, Russia and uh, old Europe. And it's, that, it's not that important. And it's actually, it's not that different to Russia because you know, language, culture, and history, uh, it's like a, the, the uh, precondition of uh, considering Ukrainians a part of Russia. So fortunately, uh, all those illusions are no, no anymore. And uh, everybody knows what is Ukraine and uh, what is Ukrainian people, their values, and what they are fighting for. And thank you for, 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 for this conversation. And it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you once again. Slava Ukraini. Yeah, I am Slava.